I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles with me once again to Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 22 and 23 today of Galatians chapter 5. Um, we are going to begin taking a closer look at the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, those, those tangible marks of grace that the Holy Spirit produces in the lives of those who, who trust and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, before I read uh, our verses for today, let's once again pray and ask for God's help. Let's pray. Lord, with your word now open before us, we, we ask that the Holy Spirit would, uh, would attend to the ministry of the word. And uh, we ask that you would make it profitable for all of us here today. We are often unaware of this, but we acknowledge it now that we are caught up in a massive spiritual battle. And the evil one would like nothing more than to take the seed of your word and to steal it away from our hearts. And so we ask by your spirit that you would take the seed of your word and plant it in good soil, soil prepared by you and that you would cause it to grow and to bring forth much fruit in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23. Let's hear God's word. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, there is uh, in our day... A lot of talk about the Holy Spirit in the church. Actually, it may be the case that there is more talk about the Holy Spirit today than in any other period of church history. And yet, while there is a lot of talk about the Spirit's work and the Spirit's gifts and the spirits, uh, the spirit being at uh, on the move in the church, all of those kind of things that we're used to hearing. While there's a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit, I think it's also alarmingly true that there is a there is a lack of evidence of the Spirit's presence in the church today. In other words, while there's a lot of talk about the Holy Spirit, it seems to me that the Christian church in our day knows very little of the Spirit's sanctifying work. You know, some people are going to, uh, to disagree with me. Some people will even be upset with me for saying that. But I would simply take them to Galatians chapter 5 where Paul gives us this list of the tangible evidences, the tangible marks of grace that the Spirit comes to produce in the lives of those who follow Jesus Christ. And the question to ask is simply this. Are these, is this fruit of the Spirit 
Is it writ large upon the church of Jesus Christ today? And when we look upon the fellowships of God's people, are they adorned by the fruit of the Spirit? If we are looking for evidences of the Spirit's work, the primary evidence that the New Testament directs us to are these very graces. And I think Jesus taught this too. You you will know them by their fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree bears or a good tree bears good fruit. And remember what he said in, in John that the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Therefore, I think I think it would be good for us as <clears throat> well. Both I think it would be good for us both congregationally and individually to take a very close look at the this the, the spirit generated spirit produced fruit. To look at it as a church and as individuals, right, right into the, the mirror of the Holy Spirit. To see whether in our own church and in our own lives, if this fruit can be seen as evidence of the Spirit's gracious work. Of, of remodeling and transforming our lives more and more and more into the beautiful likeness of Jesus Christ. We said this last week, and I'll say it again, that the Holy Spirit is the great gift of the risen Christ to the church. And he is sent to come into our lives and to conform us into the likeness of Christ. The predestinating purpose of God is that we might be like Jesus Christ. And so that means he comes not merely to give us new ideas and new opinions or to produce some kind of superficial spirituality. No, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, brothers and sisters, to transform us from the inside out. And he comes, he's sent by the Father and the Son to transform and bring renewal in every area of our lives, in every sphere of our lives. And I think something of that is indicated here <clears throat> in the fruit of the Spirit. It may, be, it may be a bit artificial of a division, but I think it's helpful nonetheless. Some have said that when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, these ninefold graces, we can see here three triads, three groups of three. Love, joy, and peace are uh, Godward graces, patience, kindness, and goodness are other people graces. And faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are inward self-graces. So one way you could look at the fruit of the Spirit is, is to see it as summarizing the Godward, the manward, and the inward. The, the theological, the social, and the personal. And that helps us, if that's, if that's right at all, I think that helps us to see... That the Spirit of God comes not just to change our relationship to God. That is, of course, foundational and preeminent. But he comes not just to change our relationship to God, but also our relationships with one another and even our relationship to ourselves. He comes to change us every part of our lives, theologically, socially, and personally. So let's get started. I'm looking forward to this journey together as we look at the fruit of the Spirit. And let's begin today by looking at the first fruit. 
Fruit of the Spirit is love. And what I want us to see today is the kind of love that the Holy Spirit comes to produce in the lives of those who trust and follow Christ, those who belong to Christ Jesus. Here's the first thing we we can and ought to say about this love. This love is the Spirit-produced response to the redeeming love of God in Christ Jesus. Take John's words. In, In other words, we love because he first loved us. This love is the Spirit-produced response in the heart of a forgiven sinner to the redeeming love of God in Christ. In in other words, Christian love is a profoundly supernatural love. It's not something that we naturally have the capacity to, to show and to display and exercise. It's not something that we are born into this world with. It's something that is born in us by the ministry and work of the Spirit. We only begin to love like this when the love of God comes into our hearts. Is it, is it Romans chapter 5 where Paul says, That the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and he sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. You see, it's only when our hearts have been awakened to the love of God that we begin to love back. So we need to understand this first of all, that Christian love is the spirit-generated response of the heart to the redeeming love of God in Christ Jesus. But if our love for God, and as a consequence, our love for others, because those two are inextricably linked. If our love has grown cold, dear friends, we, also, we, we, need, to, we need to try to understand why that love has grown cold. There, there could be a list of reasons that we might give. Maybe even a list of excuses we might give. But... But I I think one of the primary reasons at times our love goes cold in the Christian life is simply this, that we have have forgotten or lost the sense of the sheer wonder of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. Remember the story in Luke chapter 7. It's one of of my favorite stories. Uh, the story of Jesus going to have a, a meal with Simon the Pharisee. Not Simon Peter, but Simon the Pharisee. And Jesus goes uh, to his home and is uh, reclined at the table. And then Luke tells us that a woman of the city came. Right? That's a polite way of putting it. This was a woman with a reputation. A woman of the city came and she began, she, she knelt down at Jesus' feet and she began to wash his feet with her tears and to wipe his feet with her hair. And then she poured out expensive ointment upon him. And Simon, the Pharisee, all the while is just watching on with utter disgust. And he says to himself, you know, if Jesus was really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman she was. And my friends, Jesus knew what kind of woman she was. He knew what she was. And, and he knew what, because of God's grace, she had become. 
And so Jesus begins to tell a story to Simon the Pharisee. And he says, Simon, I want to tell you about these, these two men who found themselves in debt to a lender. You know, they both owed uh, an amount to a creditor. One owed a vast amount, one owed a small amount. And the creditor forgave both of their debts. He canceled both of them. And Jesus asks Simon the question, you remember, which one do you think will love more? And Simon says, well, I suppose the one who has, who has been forgiven more. And you see then what, what Jesus does is he brings it home. He says to Simon, Simon, since I've been in your house, you didn't give me water to wash my feet, which was customary in the day. But since she has been here, she has been washing my feet with her tears and drying them with her own hair. You didn't give me anointment to refresh myself. And she has poured out this expensive ointment upon me. You didn't greet me with affection. And then Jesus says this line, Simon, those who have been forgiven little love little. And we'll come back to Simon's spiritual condition in a minute, but I just want to say, I think something we can take away from this story is if our love is, is little, it could be because we have lost a sense of the sheer wonder of God's loving kindness and grace to us in Jesus Christ. That, that a holy God has made a way to forgive sinners, that he has he has washed away the stain of our guilt and removed it as far as the east is from the west. That he has buried it down into the depths of the deepest sea and he remembers it no more. That we can say, I am a child of God. I am forgiven and cleansed and accepted fully by God. And, and therefore, my friends, if our hearts have grown cold, what do we need to do? We need to go back again to Calvary, don't we? We need to go back again to the cross, to seeing that in love God did not spare his own son to save me from my sin and to fit me for glory, to fit me for his presence forever. We need to get back to gospel basics. But it may be that you are here today and you're actually just like Simon the Pharisee. You've never really had any love for Christ. You know, the idea of the thought of heart affection for the Lord Jesus Christ is almost an embarrassing thing for you to even think about. To, to say he is the fairest of the fair. And if that's where you are, then, then you too, the, the remedy, my friends, is, is the same. Then you too need to see the love of God displayed for sinners on Calvary's cross for those who believe. You, you, need to, you need to be confronted by the cross of Christ where the Son of God laid down His life as a ransom for many and where, where the sinless Son of God was made to be sin in order that we might go free. Where God laid upon Him the iniquity of us all and subjected his very own sinless son to the hell of the cross. You see, this is where the love of God is preeminently displayed that he did not spare his own son, but he so loved his enemies that he gave him over to the cross as an atoning sacrifice. We need to understand as we think about Christian love that this is where love begins. 
Christian love grows nowhere else than in the soil of God's redeeming grace. So that's the first thing I want us to see about this love. Our love to God is the spirit-generated, the spirit-produced response of a forgiven heart to the redeeming grace of God in Christ. We love because he first loved us. Here's the second thing. As we think about the kind of love that the spirit produces, that I want to say this kind of love is evidenced by keeping Christ's commandments. Remember that repeated statement in, in John 14. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The one who keeps my commandments is the one who loves me. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Three times Jesus presses home this idea on his disciples that it is one thing to say that you love Jesus, but the evidence of an authentic love for Jesus will be seen in an obedient life. That's what Jesus says. And so we have to face up to the reality that that it is possible to employ and use the language of love for God and love for Jesus and yet at the same time remain a stranger to the love of God and therefore a stranger to love for Christ, love for the people of God. Here Jesus says that if you love him, you will keep his commandments. I mean, the gospel, the gospel does not come to us, dear friends, in, in order to deliver us from a life of obedience to Christ's commands. It doesn't come to deliver us from the commandments of Christ. The gospel comes to us to give us a heart that wants to keep the commandments of Christ. And it comes to give us an entirely new set of motivations for obeying the commandments of Christ. The foundational motivation being love. We need to understand this or we will never get very far in the Christian life. That obedience is to be an expression of love in the Christian life. I just think about it this way. If, if you're married, I mean, how does your spouse know that you love them? How does your spouse know that you love them? Is it, is it the extravagance of your speech? I mean, is, is it that you make a point every day to say, honey, I love you? Well, no, because, I mean, if that's, that, there, there's a place for that, and that's necessary, that's all good. But if that's it, that's just empty talk. How, how does our spouse know that we love them? They, they know that we love them when our hearts are fixed on their good. When, when what pleases them becomes the preeminent desire of our hearts. And my friends, what pleases our Father and, and what pleases Christ is when we keep his commandments. And so we embrace the commandments not as a way of getting right with God, but as the way the reborn, forgiven, accepted, adopted Spirit and dwelt children of God express their love to God. So I think there's a challenge here though. Let's let's not think that we're making any real progress in the Christian life if we are just shrugging off Christ's commandments. 
Because love, love to Jesus brings us to a life of obedience. That's the second thing. Here's the third thing. Uh, the Spirit-produced love, following on what we've just said, the Spirit-produced love is most evidently seen in our love for one another. Love for God, I said this a moment ago, love for God and love for the people of God are inextricably linked in the plan and purposes of God. That's why we, uh, that's why we read from 1 John this morning. John says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Pause there. How would you finish that statement? We know that we have passed out of death into life. John says, because we love the brothers. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. You see, the redeeming grace, the redeeming love of God comes to produce a new affection in our lives. God, God has bound us together. In the family of God. Not just with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yes, that. Gloriously so. But also with the children of the Father. And the brothers and sisters of the Son. And the people of the Spirit. These verses in John, I think, are so searching and challenging for us. John goes on to say, Dear friends, since God so loved us we also ought to love one another. Think about that for a moment. Since, since God, I don't want you to really do this, but in your mind, look around this room today. Since God so loved those people that he was willing to give up his one and only son to the cross, to Golgotha, to the place of death and cursing, we also ought to love them, John says. If God was willing to love them to that reach, to that extent, should we not also love one another? And in chapter 4, verse 12, he says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Ask the question, where in this world will people see the love of God on display and John says, they will see it as God's love is perfected in us. As we love one another with a love that transcends uh, cultural and social and geographical and educational and racial barriers. With a love that treats one another in a way that this world just doesn't know anything about. A love that is, is patient and kind and seeks to do good and is, is gentle. A love that is not self-serving but self-giving. A, a love that does not insist on its own way. A love that is not puffed up and conceited. John goes on to say at the end of chapter 4, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brothers. 
And, and my friends, John is simply echoing the words that he heard from Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus told the disciples? I give you a new commandment. That you are to love one another as I have loved you, so you are to love one another. And so you see, that's the kind of love that the Spirit comes to produce in the church of Jesus Christ. And, and keeping in step, walking in step with the Holy Spirit for us, dear friends, will mean that we work hard at loving one another. That's exactly, I think, what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4. This is a verse that really uh, has hit me this week. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, because love covers a multitude of sins. Love, love one another earnestly. You see, it's, it's not an emotive word. Love one another fervently. Love one another at, at full stretch. Love one another with all of your might. Love one another with all that you have. Don't let anything keep you from loving one another. Love one another earnestly, Peter says. You see, as we think about that, isn't it? This is interesting. <clears throat> we, are, we are commanded to love one another. And love is the fruit of the Spirit. How, how can that be? How, how can it be both a command and a Spirit-produced fruit in the lives of those who belong to Jesus Christ? I think answering that question helps us to understand how, how God's work and, and our work come together in our sanctification. And it's parallel to the passage I mentioned last week where, where Paul in Philippians chapter 2 urges the Christians there to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you see these two things, they, they come together. It's the fruit of the Spirit, but the Spirit produces the fruit as we embrace the commandments of Christ. And so I think this is a challenge for, for all of us as we listen to the word of Christ. This is what I, I want us to take away today. This, if you get anything, here's a single statement I want you to think about. Jesus calls us to show our love for him by loving one another. I mean, just let that sink in for a minute. Jesus calls us to show our love for him by loving one another. Well, let's just be honest, we're hard to love. Each and every one of us. We're all broken, broken, twisted sinners, beset with weaknesses and failures. We all have our own Unique dysfunctions. And yet these are the very people Christ calls us to love. He calls us to love one another nonetheless. Not, not because we're good looking. Not because of our talents. Not because of our shared interests. But because we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. That's the reason. That God the Father in his infinite wisdom has given you and I to one another. In order that we might learn to, to love one another. So love one another earnestly, Peter says. 
Another way of thinking about this is loving one another is, is part of our submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, you may say, um, you may say, you know, that, that Jared, he, he's really hard to love. <laughs> you know, go talk to Kelsey, she can relate. But, but love me nonetheless, and, and, and I you. Because Christ has knit us together in the bonds of grace and has called us to love and to serve one another. This is the calling that he has placed upon us. And that means that the good of others in the family of God will be at the forefront of our lives. It means that their good should be more important than your own. I don't know about you, but when I say those words, I immediately see how much I have to go in the Christian life. And how much room there is for growth, because frankly, it's much easier to love myself. It's much easier to love people who are just like me. It's much easier to harbor hard feelings and, and grudges against others and distance myself from others and, and then try to excuse it all. You know, we have a list of excuses that we, that we uh, have ready in our pocket to bring to our defense. We have a list of their, <clears throat> their failures and their faults. And yet, you know, those, those failures and faults may very well be true. But brothers and sisters, is that an excuse not to obey the commandment of Christ? To love them nonetheless. Now, of course, that does not mean we turn a blind eye to sin. That does not mean we ignore sin. That's not what Peter means when he says that love covers a multitude of sins. There needs to be loving discipline in the church of Jesus Christ. And we as individual members of it need to be willing and ready to gently and in love confront one another when we see sin in a brother or sister's life. But love covers a multitude of sin. What is Peter saying? I, I think it means that, you know, all that minor stuff, we're, we're just, you know, if somebody comes to us and, and does something against us, we're, we're just ready to cover it over in love. But then when those serious things happen, it means I think that we are ready to forgive and to forgive and to forgive and to forgive. And, and when somebody comes to us in, in repentance and says, I'm, I'm so sorry I said that, I'm so sorry I did that. Maybe the thing we ought to say to them is, what are, you, what are you talking about? We're done with that. Let's move on. So this love is primarily evidenced in our love for one another. And my friends, we cannot, we cannot hide from that. So the question for us is, do we, do we love one another? Do we love one another? It's one of the reasons that God has brought us together as a local congregation into this little family that he has knit together in the gospel. That we might learn to love one another. We don't simply come, I hope you understand this, we don't simply come to church to, uh, to go to Bible studies, to come to Sunday school, to listen to sermons, to fill our heads with information. Yes, all of that's true. All of that's foundational all of that is of the utmost importance. The church of Christ is, is indeed the school of Christ. You know, the Bible is our textbook and the Holy Spirit is our teacher. But the school of Christ is also the family of God. 
And so we need to work hard at, at loving one another. And my friends, we, we face you know, a unique challenge as a congregation that's spread out all over the place. You know, we need to work hard at making sure that our corporate gatherings are, are just the tip of the iceberg of our fellowship and not the iceberg itself. There's one final thing I want to say, and we need to be, we need to be brief here. Final thing I want to say before we come to the Lord's table is that failure to love like this is profoundly serious. Failure to love like this is profoundly serious for a congregation. Do you, do you, remember, you remember the words of, uh, of Jesus to the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2? He says this to them, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. See what that's telling us? It's telling us that the Lord Jesus will not tolerate a loveless church. It's actually telling us that he will come to remove such churches from the face of the earth. Let's not, let's not put ourselves on a pedestal and think that can't happen to us, dear friends. At the church of Ephesus, they were, they were an incredibly privileged congregation. They had so, so many blessings that other congregations did not experience. And yet they forgot the first thing that is needed. Love. They lacked love for God. They lacked love for one another. So failure to love is serious for a congregation, but it's, it's also profoundly serious for individuals. Because according to John, those verses we read a moment ago, if we do not love one another, we expose ourselves to not being Christians at all. That's what John says. And in frank terms, the person who says, I love God but does not love his fellow Christian is what? He's a liar and the truth of God is not in him because if you love God, you will love his people. And so brothers and sisters, let me, let me end with the challenge for us and say we, we cannot sit lightly to the church of Jesus Christ, the fellowship of believers, the fellowship of God's people. We, we cannot take lightly the commandment of Christ to love one another. We cannot do it. Because if we do, it raises the question of whether we are Christians at all. And, and yet, and you understand I'm speaking generally here, and yet we live, we live in a time where we live in a time where fellowship with the saints is less important than our kids' sports schedule. You know, we, we live in a time in the church where service in the church is considered if we have time after we have done everything we want to do. We, we live in a day and age in the church where, frankly, some of us would rather stay at home and watch a football game than express love to God alongside of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If that's where we are, God, God have mercy upon us. And if that's where we are, we need to do some heart searching. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, the mark of the Spirit's work in the life of the believer, love, love. 
So as we look into the mirror of the Spirit today, I want us to ask ourselves, do, do we see, yes, an imperfect, yes, a faulty, but a real reflection of this fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Honestly, take a look. Take a look for yourself. Not so that we can beat ourselves up and not so that we can puff ourselves up, but so by God's grace, we might truly assess where we are and not pretend. And here's my closing <clears throat> prayer for us. And it's been my prayer for us as a church this week, that the, that the Spirit of God would produce in us more of this love, a love that adores the Lord Jesus Christ, and then goes on to embrace those who belong to Christ. Yes, sometimes, sometimes with difficulty, as we rub up against each other the wrong way, as we fail one another, as I fail you, as we sin against one another, yes, all of that, but nevertheless may we say, let me love them, let me love that brother, let me love that sister as Christ has loved me. And may our lives show forth then more of the Spirit's gracious work by loving like that. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we say with uh, William Cooper, our love for you is so weak, and yet we love you. Oh, for grace to love you more. Would we be so grounded in your love for us in the gospel that we would respond with heartfelt love to you that overflows into love for your people. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.